Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Moving Into the Future. Today, we are joined by Kristen Fortino from One Point Real Estate Group. Uh, Kristen is the founder of One Point Real Estate Group, uh, which has been around for one year, and she has been in the real estate industry for five years, focusing primarily on New York City and New Jersey. And today, we're going to have a conversation on the New York City market and what we've been seeing since the start of the pandemic up until now. Uh, Kristen, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Yeah, this is exciting. Um, you know, we focus primarily on uh, the commercial and corporate real estate. And, you know, to have a conversation about the residential market, I think, is going to be very important and very interesting to our listeners. Uh, so, you know, let's get right to it. What have you been seeing out there? Because at the beginning of the pandemic, it was mostly people, you know, getting out of the city and flocking towards the suburbs. And now that we're, you know, about 18 months uh, removed from that time, uh, what have you been seeing recently in the city? It's been it's been an interesting year. It's been a busy year. Um, and it was a big shift from 2020 to 2021. And I don't know if everybody expected it. Um, but obviously, in 2020, the shutdown and everything, it was there was a big lag with real estate. And I think what a lot of people did in 2020 was, you know, wrap up some deals that were lingering from 2019. And now in 2021, what we're seeing is more and more people are coming back, more interested in, you know, some potential deals that are still out there. Um, and it's been it's been incredible. You know, the two bedrooms and up uh, anywhere in the city have been flying off the shelves, which is awesome. Um, and now that the you know, the city, um, the companies in the city have been rolling out their come to come back to work plan. You're starting to see more and more people think about, should I rent for another year or should I think about buying and start seeing what what my options are? So it's been it's been really fun um, to get back into like the hustle and bustle of it all. But it's been it's been hectic in a good way. Certainly. And, and as far as prices go, mm-hmm. you know, based on at the beginning of the pandemic, up until now, have they remained pretty steady, you know, in that two bedroom and up area or have they increased, you know, since the pandemic? Um, What does that look like, you know, because of the buying opportunities? It's definitely increased since the pandemic. You know, when the when the we were in the thick of the pandemic, felt like for me in particular, I felt like pricing was a little all over the place because you still had inventory that was on the market from the year before. So some people were doing price drops. But of course, when people were going to sell or you know price to sell in 2020 it was kind of how do we how do we price this now that we're all shut down and there's going to be a lot less activity um on the buy side just because there was so much uncertainty not just with real estate but in general right, right. like so many companies shut down people weren't sure of their financial you know strength in the next couple of months and so everyone had different priorities um but pricing right now i would say is definitely up from 2020 and um, depending on you know the real estate asset and and where you're at the city in the city, you can definitely find deals that um, you know maybe weren't as much of a discount as they were in 2020, but af- not affordable. What's the word I'm looking for? More um, like, fair and appropriate. Yeah, there you go. I was yeah. gonna say reasonable. Yeah. But then the luxury market's a whole other, oh yeah, whole other ball game. I yeah. saw that's like up like twenty five percent this year or something along those lines, which is just insane. The shift yeah. from in a year has been incredible. It's been nuts. I know. Yeah, I know. And like that inventory is still high, but like as far as the the price ranges, they've just continued to go, to go up, which is is fascinating to me. And like 
you know, I, I do think a lot of it is like, you know, either foreign investments or, or things of that nature. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, to see it, I mean, even the buildings, you know, still going up those luxury buildings along, uh, you know, Madison Ave there and uh, 57th Street. Yep. Um, yeah, they continue to go up and they continue to sell. So I think that market is especially is going to be interesting, you know, over the course of the next like five to six years. And I think it's going to be very contingent on how the city rebounds mm -hmm. as a whole. You right. know, because like, especially in my world with, with commercial real estate and, and, and moving in an office space, you know, how these companies with New York City being a headquarter market, you know, is it still going to be that lucrative headquarter market where you see, you know, um, C-level executives and mm -hmm. VPs living here? Or is that going to trend more south, you know, to Florida? Um, it's going to be fascinating. I, I do believe uh, it will maintain and, yeah. and you know, we, we will certainly see that um those people up here i think once they get a taste of like hurricane season in, in florida um they're gonna be like this isn't for me right i'm coming, <laughs> um, I'm coming north yeah exactly yeah. exactly so so that'll be fascinating but like you know you, you mentioned it too as far as home buyers and going through the process you know with with the banks as a whole mm -hmm. um what was that process like because i know a lot of them did have to change their requirements i mean and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like yeah. pre-pandemic, people mm -hmm. could put down like five to ten percent for a home in, in, in some cases. And like once the pandemic hit, you know, that shot up, you know, back towards like 20 and 25 percent, which was, you know, more typical um, throughout. Is that true? Depends on the real estate asset. So for condos and co-ops, it's a little different in the city just because co-ops there, they have their bylaws and typically you can't put down less than 20%. Okay. Um, and that's just for the building standard. If you're going for an FHA loan, they right. have m some of those more flexible, um, you know, down payment uh, structures, which is the 5%, but those are more for multifamilies, um, you know, owner occupied properties, things, things of that nature. But when it comes to the co-op and condo market, the condos, it's always 10%. Um, and co-ops, depending on the building, will be either minimum 20, some 25, some minimum 40%. Wow. It really just depends on the area and the building. Wow. So it's important to kind of know what those rules are because that changes things for buyers. As far as the banks as a whole too, you know, what other things did you see specifically with, with your buyers or sellers um, that, you know, issues with the bank that might have come up, you know, because of the pandemic specifically? So and depending on the bank, depending on what their, uh, you know, either restrictions were or maybe some new regulations. Uh, when COVID hit, a lot of a lot of banks took a look at kind of what they were, who they were lending to, how they were lending. And they said, OK, well, we're in a pandemic. What do we need to do to, you know, still lend and assist people on the buying side, but also protecting what we're doing. Right. So what we were finding is, um, depending on the bank, because every bank was different, some had maybe a minimum 25% down requirement before you even got to this type of building that you wanted to buy in order to get financing from them. That was how much you had to put down. They were a little more strict around um, your debt to income ratio. Some were taking a double look at how long had you been at your company, what type of company. There were there were all of these things that everyone scrutinized a little bit more. They still did it. It just, um, de depending on who you had to go with, and some people had to switch banks. Right. And, and that's okay because, you know, buyers, I tell them all the time, you know, rates are relatively the same among the banks, but depending on who you bank with and maybe how, much, how many assets you have with them and this, that, and the other thing, they, you have opportunities to explore other options. Um, and, you know, of course, 
one thing that did happen, um, not with a buyer of mine, but, and I know we're going to get into just some investment properties, but um, one of my tenants was actually looking to purchase his first home, and then he ended up getting furloughed, and he could no longer qualify for the financing. So, of course, that happened to so many people as right. well, which is really unfortunate. Um, but that was kind of what we were seeing a little bit in the pandemic. Yeah, and, and that actually kind of leads into my next question. You know, what you know, wh- who who was buying? You know, during the pandemic, and and not even during the pandemic, mm-hmm. but like up until now. You know, was it a lot of people within the city? Uh, you know, looking for new properties in the city, mm-hmm. um, either a second home like you were talking about, or you know, j- just just looking for an upgrade, even yeah. a downgrade. You know, based on the pandemic. Um, or was it was it people outside of even New York, you know, coming into the city? What type of you know buyers were you working with uh, specifically in the last you know eighteen months and up until now? It's kind of it was honestly it's been a bit of a mixed bag. Um, you know, I had some investors who were in Brooklyn who had purchased their you know two to three families and they were holding on to those for quite some time and they even lived in them for a bit but then they had moved out and just held on to them as assets and then. Brooklyn during the pandemic because people wanted more space and a little bit of backyard and maybe more of a suburb feel but didn't want to leave you know New York in general Brooklyn a lot of people were flocking to Brooklyn so they took that as an opportunity to say maybe it's our time to pull our money out of New York um, since so many people are are looking there and so I look you know I worked with people like that I did work with a lot of first-time home buyers looking to explore you know some of the uh, discounted prices in New York so we were looking at that. Um, but again, everything everything kind of fell back on how financially comfortable were people moving forward with purchasing a large asset like that? Because the truth is, like, real estate's one of the largest, if not the largest thing most people will buy in their lifetime. Right. And um, you have to, it's a risk. It's a great risk, but it's a risk. And so people had to be careful. Yeah. And especially first-time home buyers. Like, you know, I think that's one of the important things that, that, you know, they need to be aware of and, and you help them with is, you know, not being like house poor and, and right. you know, you know, right. going through that process. You know, what is it like for a host or first time home buyer and, and how do you help them navigate that market, you know, for the first time? What are some things that, you know, you do with them specifically to help make their home buying process a little bit easier considering it's the first time? Yeah. And it's always the most overwhelming when it's the first Certainly. time, it's the most overwhelming, right? Because you have, you're not used to the process. You're not sometimes sure where to start. So the first thing I always do is we get on a call or we meet in person, depending on everyone's comfort level. Um, and we just talk through everything. You know, they get to meet me. They get to see who I am and put a, you know, a face to the name. We talk through what are they specifically looking for? Have they been pre-approved? What neighborhoods are they looking in? We kind of run through the, the wants, the needs, um, the must-haves, all of that. And I explain to them what working with me is like, how I work. You know, I'm not a pushy person. I'm not somebody who um, is trying to overwhelm anybody. I want them to know that I'm there. I'm in their corner. And, you know, I'm, I have their best interest. So the whole point of working with me is so that I can do the back-end due diligence and make sure that the asset that you're buying is, in fact, you know, as bulletproof as we can possibly make it. And then we go, I always go through the numbers. I've had clients where I've sat down with them sometimes for an hour or two just to go through budgeting on their first time home buying. And believe it or not, sometimes after even talking to them for a little bit, we've gotten through all of the nuts and bolts. And at the end, we were just like, maybe this is not the right time. And 
I'm there for that too. That's the whole point of working with somebody like myself. And I've done it a couple of times. And I, I think that having that experience and knowing kind of the, the blips that right. come along the way, you can try to help move those along and make them a little easier for home, first time home buyers and tell them what to expect. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Because like the last thing you want to happen is to go through the whole process to find a home that you love and then you get to the banks or, you know, you get to the closing process and you realize like this just simply is impossible right now. And, you know, that's that's debilitating, you know, yeah, or maybe buyer's remorse is a big right. thing. We Ex don't yep, want that. Yep, exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Then you fall into that. And then you mentioned it, you know, you have this huge asset where you're stuck to it. And, mm -hmm. you know, you, um, you know, you, you, you can't get out of it, at least for a couple of years. And, you know, that um, that can certainly, again, cause a lot of uh, a, a lot of issues. So it's certainly good to know that you know when people come to you you're not just trying to you know cut the deal you're really looking out for their best interest and um you know what you can do for them yeah and as far as like you know first time home buyers once they find that property that they do like you know they've gone through everything that you talked about with the financials and they can start looking because i mean even finding a home can take you know like long 18 time. months yeah you mm -hmm. know i mean a long time and um you know again like you said you don't want that buyer's remorse you really want to find a property that you can afford and that you love and you know from the time that you find that home mm -hmm. how long does it take from there to really you know get the keys and, and make it yours yeah so there's so many um moving parts at that point but let's just say you're financing the deal right a lot has to you know we need a lot a lot of details and documents from the bank in order to close especially if you're a co-op i always say a minimum of three months especially if you're financing um, banks right now, because the market is so busy, they have been a little backed up. And same with same with brokers, same with attorneys. Everyone, everyone is cranking through, which is an amazing, amazing thing to see. Right. Um, but I always say a minimum of three. You know, some of my deals this past year, just because of of um, banks and scheduling closings and things, that some of them took five. And um, it's not unusual for it to take a little longer. But I would say a minimum of at least three. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, for sure. Certainly. And, and just one more question as far as like first time home buyers specifically. You know, because you are in the New York City market and New, New Jersey market, which are certainly two, you know, different markets, mm -hmm. what do you think the biggest difference is between like just looking in the New Jersey market compared to the New York market? Like, obviously, there's a cost difference, but not necessarily. Right. But like, you know, what do you think is the biggest difference between going through that process in New York City and going through that process in New Jersey? So the buying process, which is, it always fascinated me that New York and New Jersey kind of did, did it differently. Like they flipped it almost. So for New York, you know, buyers, we get the pre-approval. There's a, a form that we just lay out all of um, the buyer's assets on just so we could see how strong they are. You know, and we go through that and then, you know, you get accepted, you do the due diligence for the contract, and then there's typically a board package, whether it's a condo or a co-op, usually, right? And then we get to the closing table. With New Jersey, from what I understand, since I had never brokered a deal in New Jersey, I only invest in Jersey, but I just bought my home in Jersey. And right. what happened was we negotiated the deal and then we were in attorney review. No, we negotiated the deal, we got it accepted, we signed a contract, but then we did attorney review for the due diligence. And then that's where the negotiations happened. Interesting. And I was like, but I already signed the contract. Right. I was so confused yeah. because in New York, that's <laughs> we do it differently. So it's just different on the process. But what helped me was having a broker that was like, you know, does it every day in Jersey. And yeah. he was like, this is going to be totally different and I'm going to help. And I felt 
overwhelmed myself, you know, because I didn't realize it. And I, I felt um, like I was doing something wrong almost right. signing the contract right. first before anybody did the due diligence. But it is what it is, I guess, in different markets. So yeah, and the deal got done. Which and the is deal the most, got done. The most and important I moved part. In. Yeah. yeah, and and you know that's funny too. Like even in the moving world, you know, like um, obviously I do this every day, and yeah. uh, you know I do specialize, you know, more so on the uh, commercial corporate side. But like when you move yourself, you're like, okay, I know what I'm doing. You know, mm -hmm. I'm going to prepare this the best that I can. And you're like, you're still like so like lost, not lost, but like so overwhelmed mm -hmm. by like the entire process of it all. And you're like, you know, what am I doing here? Yeah. Um, so that I is why it's something. nice. I will say something about you, though, because you helped me move. You helped my family move. And it was like the smoothest thing <laughs> ever. I, I remember I was just being like, I remember telling Joanne, my wife, I was just like, don't worry about it. Jack's got it. Like, let's worry about everything else. Jack will help us move and it's good. And the same with my mom, same with my grandma. It was amazing. So a nod to you and, and what you do, because that's a lot of coordinating and a lot of emotions. Yeah, so. you know, that part's easy for me. I know. You know? It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's when you're doing it yourself that that's the <laughs> yeah. hard part. But uh, yeah, you know, it has been great helping you and the family and you guys. Um, you know, it's um, it's always nice to like, you know, keep it all in the family and yeah. stuff like that. But, uh, you know, there's definitely more pressure. Like I tell my guys, I'm like, listen, don't mess us up. Yeah, right. like, you know, like, <laughs> like you know, we know, she, yeah, yeah. We, we, we know them well. You know, she she refers a lot of work. So, you know, make sure you give them their best. So, you know, I'm happy. Everybody's oh, happy. Man, so happy. Camille, yeah. shout out Camille. Yeah, um, <laughs> shout out Camille. She says hi, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that's really good. Yeah. Um, but, but you mentioned something, too, in terms of investing, you know, yeah. and specifically in New Jersey. You know, that is a whole different world. Yeah. Um, and I think one one of the really good things about, you know, your real estate group, One Point Real Estate Group, is that you offer that, uh, you know, consulting and mm -hmm. um, navigation through investing as well. Because, yeah. you know, I saw it somewhere like 90 percent of brokers or somewhere around that number, mm -hmm. like don't have any investment properties. And that's big money. And, yeah. you know, when somebody comes to a broker and says, hey, I want to, you know, look for an investment property, no broker is going to turn that opportunity down. But with you, mm -hmm. having that experience and investing in your own properties and, and, and going through that process is ex incredibly valuable. Yeah. So, you know, in, in terms of the investment market and investing in, 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 in property, what are some of the things that you look out for first? You know, whether it's yeah. whether it's in the asset or in the area, you know, what are you really pinpointing through that process that 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 makes it uh, a good opportunity for you? Right. So everything, every building is a, a little different, you know, and I always say this too: you, you'll you'll get 20 or maybe even 50 buildings passed along to you and maybe only one is amazing. Right. And and it depends on the, the investor. It depends on their strategy. For me, it's all about what can I do to this asset to add value to it? How much is that going to cost me? And then what is the return on the back end that I'm going to get out? How do those numbers line up for me? And I look at that asset sometimes, and if it works really, really well, my next step for me in particular is, okay, now what neighborhood is this in? Mm -hmm. Is it growing? Am I too late to it? Um, I just, I, I look at kind of like the downtown area or, you know, the neighboring cafes. You just see certain things popping up. Um, and for me, that's the way I look at it. But if the numbers work and I feel that it's strong, typically I'll ne go to the next step. And that next step is looking at what are the violations on this property? Um, 
what are some of the risks that I'm going to have to take on from the current owner that maybe they're not willing to resolve? How does that affect the asking price in my negotiation? And, you know, when I look at all of that for myself, I do the same thing for my clients. The one thing about my company that um, is a little different from majority of other brokers and brokerages in the city is my family business is a zone and code consulting firm. Yep. They are my sister partner. Right. They they have my back just like I have theirs. And with my clients, if we're looking at a multifamily and we think it's amazing and the numbers work out great, the next thing I do is the same thing like I just told you. Let me look at those violations. What's happening in that area in terms of zoning? What are they going to have to expect maybe in the next year or two that nobody else knows, right. but we know because the code is changing. Yeah. There are all these things, sign-offs, they're gonna have to sign something off. If they're going to do construction and gut it, what type of permit are they gonna right. need? Are they going to need a permit? You know, like how long is this going to take with the DOB? Because the city is a totally different animal. Oh, yeah. So having those resources and understanding construction and investing and then having the company behind me to say, all right, Kristen, this isn't going to be a month. This this asset, you're going to have to hold on to it with the DOB and the type of work you want to do for eight months. That affects some investors. You know, Can you hold that asset for eight months empty and then have time to fill it once it's done? Right. There are all those things that you have to think about. So it's a much bigger picture and bigger strategy. Um, and every single investor is different yeah. the way they look at it. But that's typically how I do it. And as far as like zoning goes, you know, mm -hmm. you mentioned that, how do, so like the process of rezoning an area mm -hmm. is obviously very lucrative to an investor based on how they're going to rezone it. Right. How do they know that? Like, does somebody put in like a request with the city or the town to say, we, we you know, based on the area, we want to rezone it to have either, you know, this number of new commercial properties or mm. like multifamily buildings? Like, how does that work? It's a good question. I feel, I don't know how they kick it off. You know, like with Gowanus in particular. Gowanus was... Yeah, exactly. Right? The, you, it, they're building all over the place right. in Gowanus now, right. but it was a manufacturing district right. not right. too long ago. Um, same with Long Island City. Yep. They were manufacturing... All warehouses, yeah. Exactly, and still some of it is. Yeah. And um, I don't know where it kicks off, to be honest. I don't know if the city is just like, you know what? We need this to is rezone. a good opportunity yeah. to rezone and and see if we can bring some, um, you know, more value to some of these neighborhoods. Um, I don't know how that works, but eventually, once Metropolis knows the family company, it's kicked over to me. Yeah, and so we'll know. Um, I just I'm just not sure where where that line is. Yeah, and yeah. how that starts. Yeah, which is an interesting question, though. I, it I do is. Wonder. Yeah, yeah, but it is because like you know what I think too through this pandemic and I've mentioned it before on this podcast, like it's going to take massive rezoning efforts, specifically in Manhattan, for like all of these high rise commercial buildings. You know, if we see companies really drawing back on their, you know, amount of square footage in office space, mm, yeah. um, how are we gonna refill that space? You know, and like when I spent time in Japan, like one of the things I was most culture shocked about is like going into a building and going to a restaurant on like, the 37th floor or like right. something like that and like between those floors would be like doctor's offices and like office space oh, wow. and like yeah even like museums like just hmm. in an entire building so yeah. you know i wonder if that's what's going to happen in manhattan um i think it'd be very interesting i think what it would do is allow for a lot of um 
other companies and creatives, you know, to, to, to have access to office space or not office space, but space that it, they, they wouldn't have had access to before. Mm. So it, it, it's fascinating in that regard. But yeah, as it pertains to, um, you know, investment property too, and, it's in, you know, specifically in like the New Jersey market or, or you know, even outer borough markets yeah. like that, I, I, I think it's, um, I think it's very interesting and very valuable that you kind of have that inside uh, knowledge of it and, and not not so much inside but like industry knowledge I should say you know mm-hmm. that that is unique to you and everything like that and then um you know when you do see uh, uh, um, a, a an opportunity in, in the investment market you know what is it sp- specifically like you mentioned the downtown areas or the surrounding cafes you know what else might it be like is it a um, is it a school coming up or like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, a new grocery store in the area, like something like that, you know, mm-hmm. is, is that some of the other things that you might look for? And then like, if you do see that, what value does it provide to the property? You know, are we talking like two times here or like, you know, something like that, you know? No, it's a good question. Um, schools for sure, because then, you know, families are going to be coming there. Then, you know, that Families are going to want to move around the school so that they can walk their kids to schools. Um, cafes are a big one. Obviously, bus stops, um, subways, things like that. Um, you know, it's it's interesting. Sometimes, sometimes just the asset for me, even if the area might be a little more residential, just makes sense. Yeah. You know, and it 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 just depends. But definitely, like schools, cafes. Um, grocery stores, transportation to where you have to go. Um, are there some bigger developments that are going to be, you know, that have been filed Right. that maybe some people don't know about, but maybe it's a five-year development plan, Yeah. you know, and they're going to buy up all of these, you know, properties across the street. Then you have to think about, okay, that's going to be noise for me for quite some time. Can I withstand that? Because that's going to bring my property value up big time. It's all these things. You know, I was reading this article this was a couple of years ago, um, and it was a, a woman developer in the city who was saying that she looks at um, if the windows are being changed. Yeah. In, in, yeah, which I was like, what are you talking about? But then I looked more into it, and I was like, that makes so much sense. And then she was saying Starbucks when they oh, come yeah. into areas. Yeah. Well, that's like the gentrification of, of areas. You know, yeah. like if you get a Starbucks, you get a Whole Foods, you get those things, then you know you're really cooking with gas. Yeah, right. But it is true. It yeah. is true. Like you see those come in and like that is just a telltale sign that there's going to be gentrification in this neighborhood. And, you know, there's there's clearly a, uh, it's like the canary in the coal mine. Yeah, yeah. Sort of thing. When you do moves, um, what are some of the, I know like you, you guys do moves nationally. Right. Or really everywhere, right, right. globally too. Um, are, do you find that people are keeping offices in the city, but maybe doing satellite offices in smaller areas? Yeah. hundred percent. So what they might do is, you know, a real estate portfolio as a whole Mm -hmm. contains so much square footage, right? So what they might be doing is shrinking their square footage in Manhattan, but then dispersing it to other markets, you know, satellite markets like a Charlotte or a Florida or, you know, Austin, wherever. Yeah. Um, while still maintaining their total square footage. They're just dispersing it in other areas. And it's not even just out of state. You know, it could be in Brooklyn yeah. or like, you know, in Long Island or New mm-hmm. Jersey. Um, you know, that that's kind of what we've been seeing. And um, it's all good for us because, uh, 
you know, like we were talking about as like far as in investment areas and, and opportunities. Yeah. These satellite offices are, um, you know, there's still offices that need to be set up with furniture and IT right. and all of those things. So, um, you know, it, it works out well for us in that sense. And then the other aspect of it is the warehousing aspect. Mm. And, you know, we, we do have warehouses on Long Island and New Jersey, which are two very strategic areas because, you know, New Jersey allows us to really touch all five of the boroughs and obviously new jersey yeah and then having our long island space as well keeps us active out there and you know we can get stuff in and out very quickly um which Makes is sense. yeah which is which is very helpful to our uh, to our clients yeah um but in terms of you know certain technologies that you're using specifically you know we've had this conversation on our own and like how we see the industry kind of uh evolving mm. you know over yeah. the next couple of years because obviously the pandemic affected us all in the sense of how we work and how we communicate and and things like that you know you even said it at the beginning of this episode you're having these um qualification calls where you can do it over zoom and yep. like that's huge i mean that's big, yeah. everybody really like mm -hmm. having that qualification call with anybody to see if this is you know for real whether it is you know a client call or a networking mm -hmm. call or ha having that capability is a huge huge just advantage yeah for everybody to, to have now rather than you know having to go to a coffee shop spending money you know time yeah traveling. exactly yeah. exactly so doing that all now is very advantageous but you know what else do you see in the market within the next you know one three five years that that you think is going to be most helpful to uh to both yourself as a broker mm -hmm. and buyers and sellers i think there's going to i think there needs to be some sort of a centralized platform. You know, the one thing about New York, it's the greatest city in the world. I would never bet against it. I say it all the time. But there, it's a little scattered in terms of the types of platforms that brokers can use to help assist our clients. And I think if there was just one centralized platform that we could use specifically for brokers, but then, you know, maybe the general public can get a different type right of like they got the beta and then you guys have like the pro version yeah because i think there's other tools that we need within our businesses that maybe that platform can have that you, like other people would have no use for right um but there there, there must be something because we don't have an mls in new york city manhattan doesn't have one so we have to What's check an mls a multiple listing service okay. so like long island has it jersey has it i think even queens has it um but we we don't have one so we have to check multiple platforms to, in order to do some of our due diligence on our end. And like, what are those platforms? We use StreetEasy. Um, yeah. We have an RLS, mm -hmm. um, which is basically like a similar MLS, but not really. Um, then we have, there's something called Urban Digs that I use. Mm -hmm. We use Property Shark. Yep. I use the DOB site all the time. Um, and a couple of other things that, you know. And what information are you getting from each? Just like seeing different listings or like, like, you know, market information, like what is it? Yeah, market information, uh, listings, what is sold in the past, what's on the market, what got pulled, maybe why it got pulled. You have the broker information, so you can always reach out to them and, you know, inquire about some additional details. Property Shark has, which I won't always like, I'm not going to say rely, but um, you have to double check the work, I think, on Property Shark a little bit because it also has like the FAR of certain buildings. Um, you know, you can check the certificate of occupancy, how many residential building uh, units are in there, how many commercial, what's the zoning, yeah. certain things. Um, so you can get more of that um, granular data from Property Shark, and you can get some comps and some listings out of there too. But um, they're just 
that's what that's what I'm looking for. Yeah. For do, big due diligence stuff. Yeah. And, Pulling comps too. And to move to yeah between different platforms for all of that is really right. a pain because like pricing trends. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So no, I think that will be valuable. And again, like the way that I would see that is 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 how I mentioned like you know the brokers and the agents would have access to like a pro mm-hmm. paid. Um, you know, subscription type service where they can get that information and then having, you know, buyers and sellers on there using it as just like essentially a search engine platform to, to get basic information that they might need is very valuable because you're also going to be able to accrue some of the data that they like how they're using the site mm-hmm. will be pushed back to you as part of pro and it will make you help understand the buyer or seller better. So yeah, that, that makes perfect sense because I, I, I see that um, I, I could see how that is valuable, you know, centralized information. Again, there's so much we are in an information era. Right. Yeah. And like, you know, there's it's a very fine line between where does, you know, the broker's value yeah. get replaced, yeah. very good. you know, in some <laughs> in some sense. But there's always going to be a need for it because there's just a professional level of expertise that you hold yeah. that can't be replicated, you know, yeah. or, or if it is, it's not going to be as, you know, we again, to, to circle back, it's not going to be personalized and there's going to be a level of trust that just can't be established yeah. through a machine. Right. You know, and experience. Exactly. Too. Yeah. Exactly. So, so going through all that, I could see. And then, you know, you, you did just start your business this year. Yeah. But it's, um, it's certainly grown, I think, you know, it's been I, doing I, I've been, yeah, I know I've been a part of it <laughs> and I've seen it. And, um, you know, it's certainly been impressive. You brought on a couple of uh, yeah. agents and, and, and people like that. You know, where do you see it going over the next three to five years? And, and, you know, how do you implement technology and, you know, what are you trying to do with it? It's a it's such a good question. You know, it's it's one of these things where when I started in real estate, I was just kind of like, right, I'm going to see where this goes. And then I just had this like bigger idea. And so the biggest the hardest thing for me being a business owner is seeing something so clearly but having to be patient to get yeah, there yeah and You're i think that's me. with anybody right yeah, yeah. um <laughs> but we have to be patient so um i think in the next couple of years i'd love to you know i'm i want to bring on a team that believes and understands and um loves the business model that we've created i think it's incredibly valuable and i think it is something that you can't really um replace and, um, you know, the next three years, I would love to get maybe like two or three more properties under the nice. under the company, which would be great. I'd love to bring on at least five more agents. I'm OK with this slow roll because truthfully, I just want to do business with really wonderful people and mm-hmm. have them be a part of, you know, be a part of what I'm passionate about. Right. The experience. Um, yeah. And, you know, just honest, good people who are savvy and eligible. You can't beat that. Right. Um, so. In the next three years, I think that's it. And I mean, in the next 10, who knows? I, right. I think the business model will shift a little bit probably, just depending on what happens with technology that we're going to be seeing. But, you know, over the next two years, for sure, I think we're going to bring in more tech into one point. But um, it'll be a slow it'll be a slow roll, but a strong one, yeah. I think. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, it's so much predicated on like market demands and, totally. and, and client demands and, you know, what they want. So it's certainly good to be like, you know, flexible mm-hmm. and like, um, you know, just creative in that sense. Um, but, you know, as you see it come in, that's where the solutions come. That's the same thing. You know, we're really yeah. trying to do at the advanced group, yeah. you know, is um, specifically as it relates to like asset management and like furniture asset management, you know, because of all the shifting going on, like we were talking about with, um, you know, companies 
shrinking their Manhattan footprint, yeah. but then dispersing it. You know, when you're moving around assets like that, you know, it just becomes such a uh, cluster because everything's happening so fast that, you know, you need to still know where that asset is. Like, you know, God forbid a building burns down or floods right. or something along those lines. And like, you don't know exactly what assets are in there, you know, because you move them during a pandemic when you're worrying about so many other things too. Right, yeah. You know, it can, it can become a real problem. So, you know, that's where I see like our industry going and our technology um, really amplifying over the next, uh, you know, three to five years. But um, yeah, you know, it's uh, it's been a good one year. You yeah. Know, you know, certainly, yeah. Uh, certainly knowing each other and working together. Definitely. Um, it, it's, it's really been fascinating. So, you know, thank you for coming on today. Yeah. Looking forward to doing this again. What I'd like to do is because, you know, Ollie. Yeah. Um, and, and get you both in here and kind of talk about, you know, the market as a whole from a residential and commercial standpoint and, you know, great. how it's all working together. Yeah. So yeah. We'll, we'll try to make that happen. Sounds good. And yeah. Uh, yeah, we look forward to that the next time. Thanks again for coming on, though, Kristen. Appreciate Thank you. it. Thank you so much for having me. All right. Everybody take care. Looking forward to the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast at theadvancedgrp.com. That's theadvancedgrp.com.